Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, in fabulous Las Vegas, and I want to start off this episode by just thanking you all for the feedback on last week's episode in which I interviewed Matt Stout inside of a car. So, yeah, I'm not sure how many interviews have been conducted inside a car before, but that one was pretty awesome. And, you know, Matt Stout is a great guy. And I think that really comes through in that interview. He's a person who has had, I mean, tremendous success in poker. And he's taken a lot of his energy that he used to dedicate to just learning as much as he possibly could about the game of poker and taking some of that energy and converted it into putting forth effort to do some good in the world. And speaking of that, this Sunday, July 3rd, we are having a big event at the Palms, which is recently renovated, purchased by a Native American tribe from California. They switched things up, but they kept one of my favorite places in all of Las Vegas, the Moon Nightclub. It is a stunning place to be. Uh, We're going to play poker up there in the nightclub. There's going to be singing, dancing, uh, drinking, obviously, and it's all for a good cause. You can get more information about our charity series of poker event benefiting Three Square, which is the food bank here in Las Vegas, dedicated to helping hungry people get some food to eat. And I just can't think of a better cause. So visit charityseriesofpoker.org. You can sign up for our poker tournament. It's a $300 buy-in with $100 rebuys and a guaranteed first place prize of $10,000 in cash. So come on out. Support the cause, do your rebuys, and try to win all that money. And if you don't win the money, you can also win amazing other prizes at the final table, such as tickets to see comedy at Brad Garrett's Comedy Club. And if you pick the right week, you might even see me performing there. There are also free gift certificates to Lake Las Vegas Water Sports. And I want to tell you guys a little bit about Lake Las Vegas Water Sports. They are not a sponsor of this podcast, but they are a generous benefactor of the charity series of poker and all of the events that Matt Stout and the gang put on through the CSOP. I won. (laughs) Actually, I busted somebody. I forget who, to be honest, but in one of these charity events, I busted a bounty and I got a $200 gift certificate to Lake Las Vegas Water Sports. And I also made the final table of that charity event and won $500 more to spend. So I basically have $700 to spend at this place. And I'm not a huge water sports guy. I mean, I've done other kinds of extreme sports, you know, things like skydiving, bungee jumping. I'm not scared of thrills. It's just that I haven't had many opportunities to do things on the water. So you can rent jet skis, you can rent a boat, like a little mini yacht 
to take out on the lake. Uh, the lake is beautiful. It's big. And you can see some homes. People actually live right on Lake Las Vegas. And it's kind of cool to see where people live and just imagine what your life would be like if you lived just in this big house on the lake. Uh, yeah, that's a pretty good life those people are living. Um, but what I tried that I want to tell you guys about is something called flyboarding. So basically you put on these heavy boots and you get into the water and the boots are connected by a hose to a speedboat. And that speedboat shoots water up under those boots and you go up in the air. Now I felt like I was 30 or 40 feet up in the air above the water, but upon further review that one of my friends made a video, I was about maybe six to 12 inches above the water. I'm telling you guys, I had the time of my life at Lake Las Vegas Water Sports. This is something I would absolutely recommend to anyone who is currently in Vegas, grinding away at the World Series of Poker, starting to get frustrated, you need a break, or you have maybe a scheduled day off and you're thinking about going for a hike or something, go check that place out, man. It was so much fun. I had a great time and uh, it was fun to spend some of the uh, money that I won playing in the CSOP. So that's a prize that you can win. There are just many other prizes. We also have a silent auction and a lot of other great things going on. So I hope to see some of you. And if anyone can attend this Sunday at the Palms, please come and say hi to me. I will be your MC. I will be kind of hosting the event. I will be kind of leading the action, letting everybody know what's going on, what the auction items are, what time the poker tournament starts, and all that sort of thing. I'll just kind of be the voice of the event, if you will. But I would love for you to come up, say hello, shake my hand, and just let me know that you're a podcast listener. So I hope to see you there at the Palms here in Las Vegas this Sunday, July 3rd. Visit charityseriesofpoker.org. Okay, the next topic I want to talk about is my mindset. Okay, I have been in Las Vegas for 25 days. And on almost all of those days, I have played in at least one poker tournament. I have zero caches. So you might think, wow, Clayton, what, you've played like 20 tournaments and no caches. And has that ever happened to you? Well, my record, I think I've said this on the podcast before, my record, I'm, I'm approaching that record, 37 in a row. I played 37 live tournaments in a row about 12 years ago with no caches. So I'm not anywhere near that right now. I think I'm at 20 or maybe 21. I have to double check if this streak continues, which let's hope it doesn't so I don't have to double check and see if I have a new record. This is not the kind of record you want to set, obviously. I'm trying to win money here, uh, but I want to talk about my mindset. First of all, I want to say I think that I've been playing well. I mean, do I have any hands that I would like to take back or maybe do differently? Of course I do, and I think that any poker player who can't find a single mistake that he made after almost an entire month in Vegas playing almost every single day, uh, that person is not being honest with himself or herself, and that's not a way to grow. I know that I have made some mistakes. I probably make many mistakes every single time I play poker, but I always do my best, and I feel like I'm playing my best, but more importantly, my play is commensurate with that of my competition. So I don't feel overmatched. And we've talked here 
on the podcast in the past about times when I felt like I was the worst player at my table. Like I know when I'm overmatched and when I'm in over my head and I'm just at this beastly tough table and I don't really know what to do. That has not been the case, guys. I feel like in most of these poker tournaments I've been playing, what it's come down to is some type of luck. Either a big coin flip or maybe somebody else getting lucky against me. Uh, I get it in with a draw and don't get there or I get it in with a strong hand and somebody with a draw gets there. And we all know that this can happen, but it does start to mess with your mind just a little bit. But what I'm really proud of, what I want to share with all of you listeners out there, is that I'm not letting this get me down. I am here to play poker. And every single time you play in a poker tournament, you have about an 80 to 85% chance of losing. Now, if you multiply that by 20 or 21, there should have been at least some success at some point in the last 20 days, or rather 25 days. So, yeah, it's been a little bit weird. Um, You know, the bankroll is suffering from it. It would be nice to have a cash (laughs) at some point. I can't believe that June is now over and I have no cashes in June. Um, It does start to mess with my head, but I'm proud of myself because I'm staying positive. I'm taking care of myself. I'm going to the gym on a regular basis, three or four times a week, making sure I get my workouts in. I'm eating well. I'm getting tons of sleep, and I'm trying to practice mindfulness and keep my positive mindset going. And even with all of that, I am just losing money every single day. So, I just want you to know, for those who might be having a similar downswing, it's happening to me too, and I'm staying positive. All you can do is start each day fresh, play your best, and sooner or later, the bad luck runs out. So, not exactly breaking new ground here. It's not like nobody ever said anything like this before, but it's worth reminding ourselves when the chips are down, as it were, as my chips have been down lately, it's important to keep that positive mindset and just remember that it's a gambling game and that downswings are just the cost of doing business. So I am suffering through one right now, but I'm not suffering too much because I'm just trying to focus on my play. So speaking of play, let's talk about a hand that I recently played at the win. Now, guys, you know I love the win. There's watermelon juice. Uh, there's comfy chairs. There are really friendly dealers who know what they're doing and don't make a ton of mistakes. Uh, it doesn't feel like the tables are super crowded. And I just really love the whole atmosphere, the vibe in there. It makes me happy to be at the win. So I bought in to... The $2 million guaranteed tournament, it's got a $1,600 buy-in, and I believe three starting days, and then, of course, day two, and I believe day three for the final table. So, $2 million guaranteed prize pool, and uh, in the first few hours, I had taken my 30000 starting stack and run it up to about 51 ish and yeah, I was doing well. I was playing well. I felt like I was at a, a good but not great table. There were definitely some tough players at my table, but there were plenty of amateur players as well that really 
you know, they were doing things like limping in from late position and then calling a 6X raise with hands like Jack-9 offsuit. So, yeah, I mean, we definitely had that element at the table as well. So it was kind of a mixed bag. So, yeah, I was pretty happy to be there. I felt like things would be mostly manageable. There was one really tough player on my left, but mostly I was I was in good good shape. So anyway, the blinds were 300-500 with a 500 big blind ante and a pretty bad player who raises too much raises. He makes it 1200, so about 2.4 big blinds. And then just a really, I, I hate to use this word, but there's no real other word for it, uh, a fishy player who just basically wanted to see every single flop, no matter what the price. So he calls. So that player calls too much. The first player raises too much, so he raised. And then the player who calls too much calls. So uh, no surprises there, I would say. Now, uh, the in my case, the two players in the blinds were probably the toughest players at the table. I thought they were most capable of making moves. And so I was incentivized to try to isolate the two bad players. And so I'm on the button with a nine of clubs, seven of clubs. Now, this is not a great hand, but it certainly has a lot of potential. It's a suited connector. Well, one, one gapper. And I decided to three bet it. And the reason for doing so is not because I think that either of the players who have already entered the pot are ever going to fold without seeing a flop, but it's more so just to try to make sure that I can play this pot versus those two opponents in position with a deep stack and what can best be described as a substantial skill edge. So I made it 4,000, which is a pretty small three bet, but again, we're not trying to build some huge pot here. This raise is mostly to try to isolate the recreational players who are already in the pot. So I make it 4,000, hoping to get it heads up or three ways with these two guys, or one of these two guys anyway. So it's kind of an isolation bet, right? Uh, so that's why I made it 4,000. And the small blind folded, but then the big blind did not come along with the plan. Now he's a young guy, probably late 20s, European, seems extremely comfortable at the table and probably plays a great deal of poker, both online and live in his home country, whatever that may be. I would not be surprised if it turns out to be Germany. So he four bets it to 10,000 and the other two players fold. Now you might be thinking, well, Clayton, you got your answer. Your nine, seven is no match for this good players uh, for betting range. And so you should just get out of the pot right this second. Uh, but I would say, hold on there, not so fast. I mean, let's do a little bit of math here. He has made a decidedly tiny four bet, and he's got almost the same stack that I have. He's got about 50,000. Remember, we start with 51. So he makes a 10,000, putting in 20% of his stack. And as much as I hate to put in 20% of my stack, with a hand as bad as 9-7 suited, the case for doing so in this instance is a pretty compelling one. So first of all, let's look at the price we're getting. 
we're getting three to one on a call. There's already almost 18,000 in the middle at this point, and we only have to call 6,000 more to see the flop. So that's one reason to call. Another reason is my hand is well disguised. Now, most poker players, probably myself included, definitely overvalue the importance of deception, right? I mean, yeah, it's good when your opponents don't know exactly what you have, but that's not an excuse for playing poorly, right? Just for the sake of deception, right? For deception, we could fold aces (laughs) and no one would know what we folded, right? But that doesn't make it a good play. So I don't think deception in itself is a good reason to make a call here. But given that I'm getting three to one odds and that we still have so many chips behind, and given that if I happen to smack this flop, I don't think my opponent will ever be able to put me on 9-7, suited or not. I decided to make the call, mostly for the pot odds I was being offered. So if you want to tell me that you are very unhappy with all of my pre-flop decisions, that I shouldn't be 3-betting, 9-7 suited on the button after two loose players enter the pot, that I should either just flat or fold... Uh, I I can't really argue with your logic there. But as mentioned, I did have my reasons. Also, if you just want to tell me, look, Clayton, I understand you're getting three to one. I understand you're in position with a pretty well disguised suited one gap connector. uh, But I still don't think that you should be making calls when people forebat you, even though you're in position and everything. I, I get it. Okay, if that's how you feel. I can't argue with it, but I'm going to call here. If you want to get me out of the pot, you got to raise a lot more. Also, I feel like this player, although he strikes me as a seasoned young veteran in his late 20s, I feel like his four betting range is mostly going to be big pairs. So I know what he has and he doesn't know what I have. I think that has to count for something. But still, the 3-to-1 pot odds are the main reason why I'm not releasing this hand. So, let's call and see the flop. And it comes 9 of hearts, 8 of diamonds, 6 of diamonds. So, we have flopped top pair with an open-ended straight draw. This is one of the best possible flops for our hand. We've basically smashed it. And also, it's very unlikely that our opponent could put us on having a pair, and an open-ender. So we're heads up in position with this hand. Let's talk about our opponent's range. Again, I feel like he's got mostly big pairs. He should also have ace-king, I think, should be four-betting, especially from the big blind in this spot. Um, Certainly, this player has noticed the dynamics of these two very loose players getting overly involved in things, and so may be able to figure out that I am 3-betting for the exact reason that I did 3-bet. So certainly ace-king is good enough to 4-bet as well as queens, kings, aces. I don't think too many players would 4-bet pocket jacks in this spot. They have to be afraid that I can beat it. Also, they don't like to play big pots from out of position holding pocket jacks. Occasionally, as a bluff, we should be mixing in Ace-5 suited, possibly Ace-4 suited once in a while. Not every time you have those hands, but you want to have some bluffs in your 4-betting range if you're going to have a 4-betting range, as this player obviously does since he 4-bet. So I think that given all of that information, it's pretty safe to put him on a range of 
Big pairs, queens, kings, aces, ace-king suited or not, plus the occasional ace-five suited or similar. Also, I think it's important to try to figure out what our opponent is putting us on. So I would think that in his shoes, given that I have three bet and called, rather than continued raising, he can eliminate, mostly eliminate aces and kings from my range, although I will occasionally slow play aces, especially in this situation on the button. Uh, I also think that I will have a good number of medium pairs like tens, nines, eights, sevens, maybe even pocket sixes, although that one could actually be a fold. I think that flatting the four bet really makes it look like I have medium pairs a lot of the time, which means that this nine, eight, six flop is not only great for my hand, it's also great for my range. I think that I may actually have a range advantage on this flop because I do not think that my opponent can ever have pocket nines, pocket eights, seven, five, 10, seven, nine, seven, six, seven. All these hands are not going to be going to 10,000 pre-flop very often. So he's mostly going to have over pairs and I will often have a set. So what this means is that we can play our hand more aggressively if the opportunity presents itself. So what does our opponent do on the flop? There is 24,000 in the middle and our opponent decides to bet 7,500. Now this is a very small bet. I know that players like to do one third pot or one quarter pot and things like that when they have condensed ranges, particularly on the flop. And I believe that our opponent does have a pretty condensed range here. He can't really have the nuts. So that means he doesn't want to polarize himself and he makes this small bet. I feel like his play is consistent with an overpair, possibly ace king with or without a diamond. Ace king of diamonds is loving this flop because remember there are two diamonds on the board and we do not have one. We have the nine, seven of clubs. So with all that in mind, I decided to play my hand fast. I should also mention, by the way, that I noticed my opponent seemed to feel, seemed like he might be feeling a little uncertain on the flop. I was watching him closely and he didn't really seem to know what he should do. And I think that in his shoes, holding a hand like pocket aces or pocket kings, I too would not know exactly what to do on this flop, uh, especially because, uh, as mentioned, it does really smack my opponent, Clayton's range, a lot more than it does mine, the young German pro, or presumably German. He could also be, I don't know, maybe Austrian, Belgian. I'm not sure, but I would guess German. Anyway, so yeah, he bets 7,500, and I decide to move all in for my remaining 41,000 betting units. So... This is what we call a semi-bluff, right? Uh, it might seem odd to turn my top pair hand into a bluff, but I'm very happy if my opponent folds, even if he has ace-king. This pot is so big that I actually benefit from getting called by worse. Like if he has ace-king of diamonds, he has so much equity in the pot, I would love to see him fold it. I don't think that he necessarily would, but I do think he should make this play with the ace-king offsuit, and then he does not have a flush draw, and so he can just bet and fold. And I'm happy to get him to fold 
in that case, even though my pair of nines is good versus that hand, because the thing is, this pot has become so big that maximizing my chances of winning it is more important than getting value from worse hands like ace-king. So if I shove here, I want him to fold. And I'm also hoping that I can even get him to fold hands like pocket aces, pocket kings, pocket queens. Uh, all of these hands, I think, are in his four betting range, obviously, before the flop. And I'm hoping that I can get him to lay them down because it is a board that smacks my range a lot harder than his. So he tanks for about three minutes. And I remember when we had Alex Fitzgerald, the great Alex Fitzgerald, the assassinato on this podcast. And he said that once your opponent is in the tank, agonizing over what to do about the decision that he's facing, you've already won. And I kept thinking about that and helped me stay calm as I was thinking to myself, please fold your kings, please fold your kings or whatever you have. I really wanted him to go away. But I know that if he has a hand like pocket kings, pocket aces, pocket queens, whatever, I have so many outs. I can now win with a 10, a 9, a 7, or a 5. Well, not necessarily win, but take the lead in this hand and have a very strong chance of winning if I hit one of those cards on the turn and hopefully lock up a victory if I hit one of those cards on the river. But you know what? Let's just get this guy to fold on the flop so I don't even have to get lucky. So that's why I call it a semi-bluff. And it's unusual that you would make a semi-bluff with top pair. But in this situation, I was pretty clear on what my opponent had and I thought that he should be unclear on what exactly I have. So... Let's be honest, too, guys. If I did flop a set, even top set, on this board, I would try to get all in on the flop. I would play it exactly the same way because in that case, I would be looking to get value from those over pairs. But in this case, I'm looking to get folds from the same. So here we are, all in, and our opponent is really torn for about three minutes. He finally makes the call with pocket queens, and there's a 100 thousand tournament chips in the pot when the average stack is about 35k so we need to win this pot <laughs> and i'm really hoping for a five a seven a nine or a ten but the turn is a jack and the river's a deuce and your boy busted out losing to our opponent's pocket queens so i'd love to hear your thoughts on this hand I would call it long ball, <laughs> you know, if trying to play uh, small pots all the time is, is being called small ball these days, I would call this a long ball play. Um, I had the guy in the tank for three minutes. He eventually took a guess and guessed correctly, but I don't think he could put me on 9-7. I feel like the problem for me is I could have pocket jacks. I could have pocket tens, and he's beating those hands. Um, I could also have a flush draw with a hand like ace-jack of diamonds, I suppose. Yeah, I could also have pocket sevens, which he's beating, but is open-ended. It's kind of the same hand that I have for all intents and purposes. So, uh, yeah, I just think there are too many hands that our opponent can beat even when I shove, and he decided to make the call, and then we could not get lucky. So, interesting hand, I think. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Please tweet me at Clayton Comic, and feel free to be honest about 
how you feel about this hand or any other hand I've discussed on the podcast or anything I have ever discussed on the podcast. And that'll do it for this episode. I want to thank you guys for your continued support. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever else you get your podcast content. And for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. I wanna hold them like they do in Texas plays. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart. Nobody